Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Hi guys, it's Tracy. And before we get to today's episode, I wanted to tell you about our holiday book drive that runs November 30th through December 14th. We are buying books for Rocket Ship Delta Prep, a school in Antioch, California, where 85% of the students live in poverty. The school doesn't have the funds to supply books to students. So many of the books that kids are reading in class are just photocopies of books stapled together. So obviously I thought we could help. We're going to be buying books so that every single student at that school leaves on the last day of the semester with their very own book. If you want to participate, there is a link in the bio to the wish list that was put together by the teachers of Rocket Ship Delta Prep. For every book you donate, you are entered to win a prize. And we will be giving away at least one prize every single day for this 15-day book drive. Once you've given a book, you are entered to win for every single day. To be in the know about what the prizes are and how we're making progress on the book drive, make sure you're following the Stacks on social media at the Stacks Pod on Instagram, at the Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter, and the Stacks Podcast on Facebook. There are more details in the link in the show notes. So please check it all out. And I want to thank you in advance for listening to the show and participating in this book drive. Okay, now let's get to the episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast for all things bookish. I am your host, Tracy Thomas, and today I am thrilled to welcome our guest, Jason Reynolds. Jason is an author. His most recent book was a finalist for the National Book Award called Look Both Ways. You may know his work from Long Way Down, the Ghost Track series, among many others. Jason joins us today to talk about his books, his reading, his writing, and so much more. Before we get to Jason, I just wanted to do a little bit of housekeeping. All right, here it is, your weekly reminder. Everything we talk about on today's episode can be found in the show notes. There is a link there that will take you to all the books discussed today, as well as the social media accounts for the stacks and our guests. Plus, if you shop through the links on Amazon, you're helping to keep the stacks free. If you're looking for an amazing book recommendation, send us an email to askingthestacks at gmail.com. Myself and my guest will read it on air, discuss it, and then give you a personalized book recommendation or five. So email askingthestacks at gmail.com with your name, what you're looking for, and maybe a few titles you've loved or hated. 
If you like the stacks and want to support the work we're doing, here are a few easy ways you can help. First of all, join us over on Patreon. That's a website where you support the work we're doing and earn perks for yourself. We've got a virtual book club. We got inside access to the show and we have an amazing community of other readers who love the podcast. So head over to patreon.com slash the stacks to join in. The last thing you can do to help the show is definitely the easiest. Subscribe to the stacks wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a rating and a review and tell your friends and family about the show. It goes a really long way to helping us reach new audiences. Okay, now it's time for my conversation with author Jason Reynolds. All right, you guys, I'm so excited today. I'm sitting here with author Jason Reynolds. Jason has written more books than I can, probably he can even count, but the ones you probably most likely are the most like known and talked about in this moment are Long Way Down, Ghost, uh, When I Was the Greatest, and now his newest book that came out October 2019 is called Look Both Ways, and it's already a finalist for the National Book Award, so congratulations Thank and you. welcome to the hey. Stacks. This is so exciting for me. Um, we're just going to start where we always start. Tell me a little bit about yourself, where you're from. Yeah. So I'm from, I'm, I'm from DC and, and grew up there and, uh, you know, just a regular neighborhood kid. You know, I have a, I have siblings and my mom raised us. My father was there for a little bit and they split and my mom raised us. And, uh, we were, I was raised in a really interesting household. All the things that people are doing right now, like all the things that people in our generation are doing right now for like self-care other things my mother's been doing for like 60 years, right? right? So my mom is always, she thinks it's hilarious. Like, she's like, oh, everyone's doing yoga. And she's like, man, it's interesting because, you know, I've been doing that since I was 19 and she's 74, <laughs> right? So she's like, you know, oh, look, people are meditating now. Interesting. Because I grew up in a household where meditation was was in the home and my mom was, I, I laugh at people with quartz crystals. Right. Because uh, my mother's had quartz crystals all over our house since we were young uh, and sage and uh, and, and Palo Santo and all these things that now people are using as ways to sort of create different, um, spiritual traditions for themselves to cleanse themselves and, and, and keep on a, on a level. Uh, my household was that way for, since I was a kid. Um, and it's interesting because I also grew up in an all black neighborhood, uh, on the East coast. And because of the migration and the way it all works for the most part, if you were a black person growing up on the East coast, you was Christian or Muslim. Mm-hmm. Right. And my mom was kind of like, ah, oh, you know, you could just be all the things and, right. and a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And mm-hmm. it's fine. Just don't tell your friends outside of the home what, what happens in this house all right? right. and what we're doing in this home and how what kind of conversations we're having. So I always grew up. Um, she raised us without any sense of shame and guilt. I don't know it. I don't mm-hmm. I, you know, I've learned it later in life. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? But as a kid, it was never like the word sin was never anything. Right. Like, I never heard it in the house. Like it's so weird. Like I never heard that. Uh, and because I didn't know that I got to live a life that was sort of led by love and not fear. Um, and that it made me, uh, and it still continues to make me, um, who, who I try to be, right. Who I, who I've sort of stepped into and look, I'm, I'm human and I have all of the right. things that humans have, but my mother definitely tried to give us, um, solid ground, like truly solid ground. No, no, no sand castles, right. It sounded like, look, we're going to build your house of brick. And in order to do that, we're going to, we're going to make sure you understand who you are, what you are, uh, how you are, why you are. Right. right. These are the ways that I grew up. And this is the kind of stuff that eventually would show itself in my work. But I wasn't a reader. 
Right. I know this about you. I wasn't a reader. Yeah. I think it's fantastic. Well, Thanks okay, for... you weren't a reader, but that's not really true because you were. What were you reading? Right, right. I wasn't a reader. Of, I wasn't a reader of, of novels. Right, because right. I feel like a lot of people say, "Oh, I, I don't read," but I'm like, you read the newspaper every day. Exactly. Like that's reading, and you were reading. I was reading rap lyrics. Yeah, I was reading rap lyrics, and and I was lucky to have come up at that intersection when rap music was growing its legs. Yeah, uh, and uh, you know, I remember going down to the store with my eight dollars. And going to the music store. And for the young folks, if you're listening out there, we have music stores, like actual buildings <laughs> that you had to go to. And, you know, buying my tapes. And, and the first tape I bought at 10 years old was Queen Latifah's Black Ring. And, and I just want to say as an aside, like, Latifah really is uh, underrated. Totally. And she She's a she's a, a legend. And, and she should be praised, like lifted up, you right. know, in the way that we lift up. Uh, the Ninas and, and you know, Rosetta Tharps now and Lauren Hill and, and Aretha Franklin, the way that we lift them up, we should really lift up Queen Latifah because mm. not only was she the best um, at that, one of the best rappers at that time, she also was one of the first rap moguls, definitely the first rap woman uh, mogul. Latifah was writing her own check. She had her own production company. Right. La- Latifah, you know, tapped into television early, early, Right. You know, a living single, there is there is no friends right. without living single. Say you that know, one more time. If friends does not exist, <laughs> right? Because they basically realized that living single was a massive hit. Right. And, and so they tried to capitalize on it by creating a white version. That is not a, a, a conspiracy theory. That is a fact. Right. Um, that is well known. I just think people don't recognize I that. I know. I know. And, and so she should get the credit for that. Like, uh, I, I, I really believe. And then she went into jazz. Right. right, and now she's in movie production, right. talk shows. I mean, Latifah is Oprah Junior. and doesn't get the credit for it. Right, right. She hood Oprah. Well, right, probably because she started as a rapper. That's right, and and, it, and it's a stigma. Right, you know, and, and I think that same stigma is the very thing that drove me to it. Right, irreverence is attractive, you know, especially when you're young. Uh, and so that was it. I started reading rap lyrics that introduced me to poetry. When you see lyrics from the page, you realize that it's written in the same format almost. I mean, you look at verse, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, right? And it right. looks just like any other poem that you, any Shakespearean poem that you read or right. any sort of tightly structured limerick poem that you read, it looks exactly the same. And I started to build those bridges, right? Tupac and Langston Hughes are doing the same thing. Latifah and Maya Angelou are doing the same thing, mm. right? Slick Rick and... And and some of Shakespeare's stuff or William Faulkner's stuff is doing the same thing, uh, and that was that was eye opening. And I decided that when I grew up, I wanted to be a poet, and I started to write poetry uh, a lot. And and I and I say that the the there have been moments in my life, several moments, where the stars have aligned, and this was another one of those moments. I get the Latifah tape. I'm opened up by seeing those words on the page, and then shortly after that, my my grandmother passes away, mm-hmm. and in this moment, I'm. It's the first moment that I've heard my mother cry. And anybody who's who remembers the first time you hear your mama cry, it's a strange, strange feeling. Hmm. It's also a strange sound, right? For some reason, your mama's cries sound different than everybody else's. It's a it's a guttural thing, only to your ears. Right. It's an interesting thing. And so <laughs> hearing my mom cry um, made me want to do something to help her feel better. It's the first time I saw her broken in that way. And I wrote her this poem because I had been reading these rap lyrics three or four lines, you know, I'm like 10 and mm-hmm. she printed it on the funeral program without my permission. <laughs> so my whole family got to read it and everyone said, Hey man, that thing you wrote made me feel a little better. Hey man, that thing you did 
right? And now I know, oh, there's power. I'm going to cry. There's, there's power here, right? Yeah. Uh, my grandmother had seven siblings, and in the course of two years, mm. they all died. Ugh. And so everybody says, we need you to write one of those things, oh. right? And so the first seven or eight poems that I wrote were all in the deaf tradition, trying to make my family feel better. And after that, I was able to sort of figure out that this could, this could be a thing for me. Okay, so you're writing poems. Mm. You do that for a long time. Mm-hmm. I mean, you still do it in some of your work. Sure, sure. I mean, a lot of your work, even if it's not a poem, is rhythmic and sure. has a, you know. But how did you decide that as someone who wasn't into books, like what was that transition from I write poems to I actually want to write a book or a narrative story? And not that poems don't have that, but like it, it feel, that jump to me has always been kind of like a question of, how did you, mm. as someone who wasn't like, I love books, I grew up loving books, roll doll, or, you know, like that wasn't mm. part of your childhood. So how did you take, okay, I like poems, I like music, now I want this to be turned into a book? Uh, well, you know, first I did books of poems. Okay. So that was sort of the the entree by myself, right? I would work my summer job and and save that money and go to the printers and you know, you put up 500, you get a thousand books. You right. Flip, you flip that, you flip that thousand books into $5,000, take another five, right? You, you know, it's just like flipping the money right. and using books and selling books out of my backpack and out of the trunk of my mama's car, right? Like, um, and so I knew that books could be a thing. Books to me were, were collateral for the recitations, right? I would go okay. and do recitations and, and this is when spoken word was becoming a big thing. Right. And so I was I, another, another moment, the stars online. And I was in that world and that scene as a 15 and 16 year old sitting in the back of the club waiting for my turn to get up and do my thing and read my poems. And of course, no one was there to hear them you know, for some of those moments. Right. But over time, that became a part of my, my, my life. And, and having a book was a way to walk out of there with a couple of bucks in your pocket. Right. So I understood uh, books as product. I see. Uh, when I got to college, uh, I met this this uh, the stars online one more time, and I meet this guy named Jason, another guy named Jason, white dude, redhead, right? Just, it just the the it, it, he's me except on the opposite end of this, like the opposite, right? It's like looking at myself inverted, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we we become fast friends. Okay, he's a uh, he was a business major, but he was an artist. Okay, uh, and so he never went to business class. He was always in the art studio, and we lived together. We were roommates. And cavalierly, he said one day, one day we should make a book together. You write poems, I make art, we should do this thing. And, you know, you're like, all right, cool. You're my man. You're my guy. So maybe we'll do this one day. We go through these breakups, he and I, right? Our first heartbreaks. Oh, I thought you meant of each other. No, no, like no, You no, guys no. are kind of falling out. No, no, no. no. And we go through these, these romantic breakups. Uh, he with a woman that he was, had proposed to. Which was, we were in college. What was he thinking? How dramatic. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and me with my, my high school sweetheart. Okay. Right. And we've always sort of held emotional space for one another. Okay. And so we start to like talk about these things like, yo, what did we do wrong? Let's talk about like, you know, we had a self-forgiveness and self-awareness and self-assessment. And so we make this book called Self. And it's this coffee table book because we're like, if we're going to do it, let's do it big. Right. So we like made a coffee table book <laughs> and we're like, How's, how much money is it going to cost us to make this book? And he's like, all right, let me run the numbers. And we call all these printers. And there was this one printer who used to print for the Smithsonian. And they, okay. were, like, and they were like, oh, we could do it for you for 30 grand. Casual. We're, we're 18. Right. It's just super casual number. So we're like, sounds good. <laughs> right. 
Because back then, right? Because back then you could go and get high limit credit cards. Right. Because what is this? Like 2000. This is 2002. Two? Okay. This is 2002. And back then you could get a Nokia phone and a high limit credit card. Right. By signing your name on the paper. Perfect. So we do that and max out the credit cards and get these books made and can't sell them. Because in order to make any money back, we got to move them for $50, $50 a pop. And what, 18-year-olds buying a $50 yeah, book? It's just not happening. I mean, 50-year-olds don't buy $50 yeah, exactly. books. <laughs> it's a beautiful book, but nobody is like, bro, we know you in real life. I'm not spending $50 to buy a book from you. Right, 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 right. right. Uh, but after he quit school and I graduated and he's like, look, we got these books, man. We got to do something. Let's move to New York. Amazing. And so we, <laughs> so we moved to, to Brooklyn. With, you know, a dollar, it's like that story, right? Dollar right. in a dream. We're running around New York City hustling, trying to figure out how to get this, how to get a, a book deal. Because back then the internet wasn't nearly what it is today. There was, all the information wasn't there. Right. You had to be famous. And not every business didn't have a website. Right. At this time. And so right. all we knew was rap music. And we knew that rappers used to throw demo tapes in Russell Simmons limousine and run into Def Jam and. So we did it that way. And we're running into publishing offices and we're trying to get up the steps, trying to jump the turnstile at the security desk, trying like just wilding out, trying to get this done. And eventually, you know, long story short, my buddy who was basically feeding us every night, who had been on TV, went to high school with him, and he was successful as an actor in New York. He was like, man, I love this book. It's beautiful. I'm going to give it to my agent as a gift. And the very next day we got a phone call. And huh. there's a woman named Lydia Wills who's no longer in the business at the time. She had just started to represent Aaron Magruder. Uh, who made the boondocks, who okay. went to school with us. Where'd you go to school? University of Maryland. Oh, okay. He started in the school newspaper and she was representing Aaron Magruder and she said, I don't know who you are. I don't even know what this thing you made is, <laughs> but anybody willing to invest in themselves, I at least need to have a meeting with. And that's how I got in the industry. Wow. Came through the back door. Six weeks later, we were signing a deal with HarperCollins and three years later, uh, the, the first book came out. My name was Jason Mine too. And, and the reason I'm telling this long story to get to the point is because it was in the process of making that book where the editor at Harper said, one of these days you're going to write novels. And I said, absolutely not. Mm. And she said, I know you want to be a poet and you are that, but you will also be a novelist. And I said, I don't even know how to write novels. I don't even have the education for it. Mm. And she said, ah, that's where, that's where you're mistaken. Your intuition will take you farther than your education ever will. And 10 years later, working in a clothing store, which is what I was doing, what I would still be doing, by the way, if right. this didn't happen. A friend of mine came in the store and he said, his name was Christopher Myers. His father was the late, great Walter Dean Myers, uh, who was my hero and Chris is one of my best friends. Mm. And he came in the store and he said, uh, you should try to write a story. And I said, why? He said, my father's getting older and he's not going to be able to do this forever. Walter, for those who don't know, Walter wrote the book Monster. Uh, Walter wrote The Young Landlords. If your mama's watched 227, Walter, that's what that is based on. You know, Walter was basically the James Baldwin of children's literature. Uh, and he said, my father's going to go soon. He's got to do so. Somebody got to write the stories. He said, just try. Try to do it, but release all of the rules and, and all the, the pressures. Just do your thing, your way, your voice. Mm. And I sat at the cash register of the clothing store and in the notebook and started to scribble a story about my brother and me and, and being a kid. And and all I could hear is that 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 editor at Harper who said, "It's your intuition. Trust your gut." Mm. Did it my way, my voice, and I, and life changed forever. Wow, yeah, that's so awesome. I want to shift slightly to yeah. kids because you spend a lot of time with mm -hmm. kids. You write for kids, young people. I don't know. Do you call are they called kids when they're like fifteen, teenagers, young, young folks? <laughs> you write for young folks. I want to know 
because I'm not around young people a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think most people aren't, even people who have kids mm-hmm. aren't except, except for their own kids. And even then it's not that many hours a day when you really look at it, like a lot of it's sleep time. Right. So my question is kind of, have you, what have you seen in kids as they see your work? Like, are they, are you revolutionary to them in the way that you might be to someone of an older generation, like a young black man who's writing stories about black and brown kids who are going through these things? Or are you reflect, like, do they feel like, of course, this is what it should be in a book? Mm. No, they, they, it's, they know. They know. That it's different. Yeah, they know. And they, because for many of them, it's the first time that they've been able to get through a book. Right. Right. So this is this is, you know, thousands of 17 year olds first books. Right. This is me. This is me talking to me again. This is me providing me with a book that I needed when I was their age. And they and they make it very clear. You know, I meet kids all over the all over the world who say, uh, hey, man, I just wanted to say this is the first. This is it. This is the first thing I've read. I'm 17 and a half. I'm 18. I'm 19. Right. I'm 14, whatever it is. And they're like, I, I hated reading, but now I think I'm, I'm going to like it more or if I can read more of your books or, you know, teachers all over the country uh, shifting curriculum, right, to make sure that the young people are getting what they need using this work and this literature um, because it can be used. I, I work very hard to make sure that it's entertaining, but also that it's sophisticated. This is, right. this is literature that has merit. You know, that means something to me. The language, the lines, the themes, the motifs, all the secret metaphors and layers to the stories. I wanted to feel easy uh, at 14 and then reread again at 18. It's a different book. Right. Right. And again at 25 and it's a different book. Um, and so I, I've been fortunate to have so many young folks say like, no, nah, this is it. Okay. You know, this is it. If you go to Barnes and Noble, there's a section that just says Jason Reynolds <laughs> because, and not because of me, but because of what they come in there saying like, yo, this is what we want. Right. Where's, where are these books? Okay. So what does, so you said you, you write for you, you adult, you writes for a younger version of you. Mm-hmm. What does younger version of you say to adult you? What's the advice that 15 year old Jason gives to you now? Hang on to me. Mm-hmm. Hang on to me. People ask, you know, the question that adults get, the other, the other sort of uh, framing of that question is like, what would you tell 15 year old? Yeah, but I feel mm-hmm. like everyone gets that. Like, what have you learned in your life? But yeah. what's the thing that the young you... Hang on, yeah. because because the truth of the matter is is that there's if, if if the younger version of myself got it right, right. The younger version got it right. The younger version understood we could do all the things, right. The younger version understood, uh, you know, the world is malleable. Mm. Well, and, the younger version of you is jumping turnstiles to give a fifty dollar yeah, book. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> yeah. right. Like, right. Like there's uh, there's an optimism and a courage. Um, and, and sort of, uh, you know, like I, I, I had no caution. There was no caution to, to anything. I was kind of like, look, I'm going to do my thing because I believe that my thing is a value, right? There's an ego to a 16 year old mm. that we, that we downplay and dismiss when really it's like, no, hang on, hang on to that little bit. Life, life will do everything it can to, to chip it away. Don't worry. It'll, it'll settle. Right. right. But you got to hang on to, to that. And, and if you, when you get older, you know, one of the gifts you learn is that there's a difference between being irreverent and being irresponsible. Sure. But that irreverence is something that we have to cherish. And it's a fine line. It is. It's a fine line. It and is. It is. If you're doing it right, you probably have crossed the line. Fucked up a little bit on oh, one side God, or the other. Yes. Listen, I am, I am the king of it. 
<laughs> at, at 35, there are more irresponsible moments than I should probably be having. But sure. it is what it is. Yeah. You know but that's I mean? human nature, too. You got to have a story to tell. Yeah. OK, we're going to talk more about Look Both Ways probably next week when we talk about Jack Woodson and because the works are connected in a lot of ways. But one of the things I do want to just touch on about Look Both Ways is that it's – oops, we should kind of say what it's about, I guess, a little bit. It's a story <laughs> about kids who walk home from school. It's told in 10 chunks, 10 sections. They're kind of their own short stories, but it also functions as a, a whole, um, which is really cool because I think that's great for young readers who it is the beginning of their reading life and yeah. they get bored and, you know, anyways – but one of the things that really stuck out to me about this book and the way that you told the story is that all of the kids have some sort of trauma or something that they're going through, but they are not their trauma. Mm. And I think that that's really powerful. And and one of the observations that I had reading the book was Jason Reynolds is really observant. Mm. Like I feel like there's something about you where you see people, you can see that and you can also see other things. Mm. I think a lot of people, myself I can speak for myself. If I know someone has had, you know, their dad died when they were seven or they are, you know, they have foster parents or whatever, that's what I think of first. And I feel like in this book, you found a way to make these kids really whole. And I, I don't know if that's something that you consciously think of or if that's just because these are the kids that you know and you grew up with or if it's some combination, but kind of like how did you decide – these kids and these stories and still make them feel both rooted and heavy and also just fun. They're mm. so great. <laughs> I think, I think uh, that's a conscious decision. I work really hard to ensure that who, who I'm trying to portray is portrayed with some balance and, and some wholeness and some humanity. Mm -hmm. I think that if you're around kids enough, you realize that they've all, they're all coping. Mm. And they all, but yet they always make time for laughter. Uh, there's there, no matter what, no matter what kind of weight they have on their back, nothing, uh, nothing sort of overtakes the necessity to roast each other. Right. And I just saw a picture recently of somebody posted uh, or, or sent me, I can't remember, of Syrian kids um, who are trying to get to uh, a place of refuge, and the photograph is of them. Oh, my friend Dan, my friend Daniel, and the photograph of them is all of them laughing and joking. Once the camera came out, it was just like it was time to put on and show laugh. Time. And it was showtime, right? <laughs> yeah. Even though these are young people with nothing who are walking to freedom uh, and who may not all make it there. Right. In this moment, there's laughter. There's joy. And and so we are not our traumas. You right. know, Alice Walker says, you know, we carry our wounds and our medicines right. as we go. Both. Mm. We carry both of those things and, and we can't have one without the other. We focus so much on our wounds, but we also, we also possess our medicines and young people are no different. They have our medicine. They have their medicines right? as, as well as their wounds. Um, and I, and I want to make sure that I'm doing my job as the observer. Like I'm not a kid. Right. I'm writing outside of my lane. Right. I mean, I was a kid, right? But I'm not, the world is different and they're living different lives. Sure. The, the big things are, are similar, but the details are very, very different. Right. Um, there's even like a little Easter egg. I, I, there's a lot of Easter eggs in this book, um, but there's one as you said. Oh, you know, I, you're like the observer. So there's there's the story that the title story, which is look look both both ways, 
Um, and you know, the young girl, she trips up and she falls and hurts herself right. on the way home and the school bus is coming by and all the kids are laughing. And she right. says, I look up and I see this one kid with a lisp and he's, he's, you know, you're going, you're going to kill yourself. You're going, you right. know, whatever he says. Yeah. And then she says, but there's a kid behind him, a little dark skinned boy with dreadlocks sticking from the top of his head, holding a notebook mm-hmm. up to his face. And I can't see his mouth, but I know he's not laughing. It's me. I wrote, I wrote me into the book you know, as the as the observer, right. right? As the person with the notebook, observing, not laughing or judging or making or making them feel small, just observing. Are you that person, like with your friends and stuff? I am. You're like the observer. You've always been. I've always, I've always sort of looked at the the nuances of our lives. You know, I'm always the guy who is like, "What's the matter?" Right. And your friend says, "You know, it's this, that, and the third. And I say, "So, like, what's the matter? Mm. Like, what's what's going on?" Right. You know what I mean? Because I know how I operate and how I move. Right. You know what I mean? And sometimes you got to ask the question more than once to get to the root of a thing. Let a person know that it's okay, that you're, you're opening them up for a space of humility and that they're, they're safe. Um, right. So, that, yeah, that's, that's, that's how, I, how I'm built. You know? For better or for worse, being an empath is also terrible. Right. Uh, <laughs> well, everything is like that. Everything that's good about us can also be. Our uh, wounds and our yeah, medicines. Exactly, right? exactly. <laughs> BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Okay, we're going to transition a little. I have other questions for you that I'm going to like try to squeeze in because I have a lot of questions. Uh, (laughs) We'll get there. So we do this thing called Ask the Stacks where someone has written in, they want a book recommendation. I think this is going to be good for you. It's totally different than what you write. So Mm -hmm. I'm excited. This person is named Kira B., She says, my name is Kira, and I moved from Boston to Denver almost two years ago. I love memoir, nonfiction, travel books, literary fiction, historical fiction, and the classics. However, I have noticed a huge gap in my reading. History. I somehow got away with not taking any history courses throughout college and beyond. So I would like readable, engrossing history books that will fill my knowledge gap of American and world history. And then some of the books she says that she loves are Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson, Educated by Tara Westover, The Island of Sea Women by Lisa C. And then a book that she did not like was Lincoln and the Bardo by George Saunders. (laughs) So I, so Kira, this is definitely my wheelhouse. I love a history. Um, I have a few here for you. The one that I would say of all of the books about history that I've ever read that has been the most meaningful for me was The Warmth of Other Suns by Isabel Wilkerson. Absolutely. That book is about the migration of Black folks from the South to the North and the West. um, And it tells a history of America in a way that as a Black woman, I'd never understood. And my father was part of the Great Migration. He came from Louisiana in the 30s to 
California in the well, in the third, to California, which is actually one of the characters in the story's journey. And it's just really powerful and moving. And it makes sense of a lot of the reasons America is the way that it is, not just for Black folks, but for everybody and the landscape and how Chicago got to be Chicago and how, you know, we have Black folks in Portland, Oregon. Like, why is that a thing? How did that happen? So that book talks a lot about that. And it's amazing. Another history that I love is Blood in the Water by Heather Ann Thompson about the Attica prison uprising. This is a super small moment. It's nine days in September 1971, but she really, I mean, the book won a Pulitzer, so I'm not saying anything that no one else has said about the book, but it's phenomenal. Um, Heather Ann Thompson is, she did a lot of work. You could tell. I mean, same with Isabel Wilkerson. And then the last one that I would say, um, which is kind of totally different. I read this book this year when I went to Japan. It's called Hiroshima Nagasaki, and it's by Paul Ham, And it's all about the atomic bombing. And what's really interesting about the book is that it questions Truman and America in a way that I've never seen. And it questions the did we really need to drop those bombs? And it talks about the science and it talks about the history, but it also puts a lot of focus on America and Japan in World War II, which we never really see in that way. It's so much about Germany. It's so much about Europe. And this book is almost exclusively about Japan and not just, you know, America's role, but also what it did to the Japanese and who they are. So if you're looking for something a little more world history, that kind of combines the two. I have a list of more, but those are the ones I'll say. All right, your turn, Jason. Oof, this is a tough one. It's a good one, though. I left I, one for you. It, uh, you did, okay. obviously. <laughs> as I, as I, you know, I'm like, okay. She, she threw me the alley yeah. So, of course, I'm going to say Stamp from the Beginning, uh, which to me might very well be uh, the most important book about race that we've had in the 21st century. Um, it's just definitive. And, and he, first of all, he doesn't necessarily call it definitive. It, it you know, publishing is interesting, but it mm-hmm. is it is a really wide swath of of racial and and race history, starting from the 1400s, uh, Portugal, um, and ending all the way at you know Black Lives Matter and and, and right. what, just a couple of years ago. Um, it's pretty brilliant uh, and extensive, and it's a hard read and just work through it. it yeah, a, a little bit at a time. You yeah. know, a little bit, and it's broken in. And just to give you some more context, it's broken into five sections that cover five people that he uses as the pillars of that time to talk about race. So he has Cotton Mather, and Cotton Mather is basically the grandson of of the Puritan founders of this country. Uh, he has um, uh, Thomas Jefferson, uh, who we know, we all know, yeah. right? He has William Lloyd Garrison uh, when it comes to sort of abolitionism and, and working through uh, media, right? Uh, race media and liberation media and all that kind of stuff. He has W.B. Du Bois uh, to talk about, um, you know, what it meant to be sort of uh, upwardly mobile and black and free um, and what that actually meant and what, and, and if freedom was actually a thing or, or were we all living in the avatars of freedom mm. uh, and the, the complications and the complexities that are wound into all that is pretty, pretty brilliant. Uh, and then the great Angela Davis, who he argues is basically the quintessential anti-racist and who we should all be studying um, to understand how to break the chains um, because she sits at the intersection of all the things, whether it be race, class, sexuality, uh, gender, um, like every education, 
Right. Like at, she, she literally sits right at the intersection of all the things and has never made a mistake. So she has not missed that. She has not slipped right. into assimilationism or racism right. ever that we have documented. Right. Uh, and so he's using her as sort of the pillar. Shout out to Angela Davis. Yeah. We should all be so lucky uh, to, ha- to have her still with us. Um, and so that book is definitely a recommendation. I would also say read all of, so like read Angela Davis. Um, she has so much work that, that gives so much history around uh, this country, specifically as it, as it pertains to racial politics. Um, a, a slight change of pace would be, I think it's called Best Hard Time. I don't know that. Timothy Egan. Okay. It's about the Dust Bowl. Okay. It's a masterpiece. Okay. He won some huge award, maybe the, maybe the National Book Award, I think for it years ago, okay. but it's a, it's narrative nonfiction. So it reads like a novel. Mm. It's, it's a masterpiece and it, it explains the middle of the country. Okay. Right. And so what he does is he basically just spells out how the dust bowl even happened and, and how it was all sort of governmental hoax, right. It's convincing people that there was land that could be farmed knowing that it couldn't be farmed. Right. And over time uh, <laughs> that land was picked up and picked up and picked up until nothing was left of it. Um, but, but dry, dry land and dust. Right. But but the settlements that happened in the Dust Bowl and in that book explains the heartland um, as it pertains today. And it's important that we do the necessary research to understand and to and to humanize uh, and connect with um, with the people who live in the middle of our country because they're human beings and they're Americans. Um, enough with the flyover nonsense. Like stop stop saying that. Right. Right. It's derogatory and disrespectful. Right. There are humans there. Right. Uh, and and they and those humans who live there have a history. Do you get there often? Uh, I I just spent a ton of time in small towns. I just left uh, a small town in Kansas last week. Before that, I was in Seward, Nebraska. I've been all through Illinois, the parts outside of Chicago, Bone Gap and and Olney and La Crosse, Wisconsin. And I spent a lot of time in small towns because um, because I, I don't just love the children in New York and in L.A. Right. And in D.C. Right. And there are children in Arkansas. Right. And, 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 and the political bullshit that we all sort of uh, volley back and forth has nothing to do with them. Right. And I also argue that some of that political media talking point stuff is not even real. Like so much of it is like the idea that, you know, I, I am someone who lived in California, New York, so I'm obviously going to be defensive of the coast. Sure. But one of the things that always has irritated me is this idea that people on the left are in any more of a bubble than people anywhere else. Exactly. It's like I, I interact with just as many diverse people, you know, and I understand that it's like, oh, political beliefs are different, but I'm in no more of a bubble here in LA than I was, you know, than when I lived in Colorado for a little bit than yeah. those people were. And I think that the idea that some bubbles are bad <laughs> is just, it's, harmful and also it's in the way and also we get to talk about we, we talk about people from periphery right and i think that's dangerous right i think it's da- it's a lot harder to be as uh as judgmental and as hateful for all of us right whether you're whether you're you know in whatever conservative bubble or quote-unquote or quote-unquote liberal bubble or right. progressive bubble the truth of the matter is, is that if we're not standing face to face, it's really easy to be hateful and harmful. Right. But once you're standing face to face with a person and you're having actual discourse, um, it becomes a lot difficult to not complicate your argument, which is important for us all to always be complicating our arguments and not making it easy for mm. ourselves um, to be judgmental and hateful. And so that, that book, I think, is just a brilliant. Uh, it's just really it's really something. Okay. That's awesome. Okay, Kira, those are your, your books that we have for you. There's only a hundred billion more. So <laughs> if you need more, just, you know, slide in my DMs. Um, okay. 
Yay, we're going to talk about your books now. I'm Let's so excited. It. Two books you love, one book you hate. Two books I love, one book I hate. I know I was supposed to prepare for this. It's okay. But the, the two books I love, um, one is Jasmine Ward's Salvage the Bones. Mm. For me, to me, it's the, it's a perfect book. I've never read it. Oof. I've read, I've heard, my favorite is Men We Reaped. Oh, it's my least favorite. Really? Yeah. I love nonfiction. Got you. Mm. I'm a nonfiction queen. If you read Salvage the Bones. I have it. I own it. It's really, uh, it's really a masterpiece. Okay. Really a masterpiece. Um, my second book. Should I give context about Salvage the Bones? Just a quick. You can. Salvage the Bones is basically about a, uh, I believe she's 15, 15 year old girl named Ash. This is the Lil Mississippi. Uh, and she, she doesn't have a mother, but she has brothers and a father and, and a pit bull. And she, this is 12 days leading up to Hurricane Katrina. And so this is the storm before the storm, basically. Uh, and what her expectations are and what's going on with her and her family in this small town. It is brilliant. Uh, brilliant to read about the black American South. So it's, uh, uh, okay. Another book that I love. Oh, God, so many. I really loved recently Colson Whitehead's Nickel Boys. So Yo. good. <laughs> so good. Is he kidding? I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. And, and I, for one, I'm slow on like, you know, it's a lot of gas around Colson. It always has been for a very long time. So I was like, all right, we'll see. I mean, I read all, I read everything that he's written. So I'm like, all right, let's see. And then I read Nickel Boys and I'm like, oh, oh yeah, he, he's, he's the real deal. Yes. He's the real deal. I refer to people like him as professional writers. Yeah. He, also, I heard him talking about the book and he said that he wanted it to be 200 pages and it's like 212 and he was disappointed in himself. Yeah. It's like, it's Maybe the most perfect 212 pages. It might be. It's a whole story. It's it's unreal. It's unreal. It's unreal. And 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 what he does at the end yeah. is unnecessary <laughs> and still perfect. perfect. It doesn't he doesn't have he didn't have he to. He could do have that. just ended it. Yeah. And we we're like, this is amazing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and instead <laughs> he does another it's thing. So good. <laughs> He pulls one really more liked, rabbit out of the head. I really liked Underground Railroad. I thought that was a really good book. Again, I'm not a fiction person. So yeah. when I say that I like something that's fiction, for normal people, you probably think it's a great book, but I'm very hard on fiction. Gotcha. And I really liked Underground Railroad and I was excited about Nickel Boys. And I finished Nickel Boys and was like, <laughs> yeah, how rude. Uh, and I really, I was kind of like, eh, because I felt I was, I was on home going. Like, mm. So that was the year. Oh, that, I was out on home going. See, and so I was home going was out the same year, mm. and he swept. He swept her and mm. Yajiasi, and I. But I was on the Yah the Yah bandwagon. I was like, oh. this is the book. That's so interesting. Yeah, That's I was, was out on year. home home going. Yeah. I thought home going got too much hype and love. See, is is home going a YA book? No. Okay, because some no, people no, no, have no. told me that it is, and then I was like, oh, maybe it is. No, 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 no. Okay, this is capital L literature. I mean, not not that why it can't be. I just wasn't sure, sure if the audience was like supposed to be younger. Nah. No. Okay. What about a book you hate? Nah. Uh, Perks of being a wallflower. Oh, why? Um, I, I thought he I thought he left too much up to, to the reader's uh, imagination when it came to the protagonist. I thought that the voice of the protagonist was off, mm. um, and it was so far off that it made. You it made you wonder if the young person had Asperger's, mm. but he never says that it's Asperger's, and so it just reads like, and you can't and you can't suggest it's Asperger's. 
Right. You can't like I that, see. You, right. It's inappropriate to suggest see, it's see, Asperger's, and he doesn't say it's Asperger's, and so because he doesn't say it's Asperger's, this, the voice just feels robotic and static and strange mm. and off. Uh, in a way that I just found to be dissonant and, 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 and whack, to be honest. I just, I didn't get the hype. I don't, I, I was like, I'm good on this. Okay. What are you reading right now? Uh, Ta-Nehisi's book, The Water Dancer. How's it going? Uh, it's going all right. It's going all right. Like, I, look, I got a lot of respect for, for Cuz. I think he, you know, he's, he's, he is who he is. He's the man. You right. know what I mean? Right. Like, I got, you know, no disrespect to him. I'm interested to see, um, how he does as a fiction writer. I'm and, so interested. And, and and the language is beautiful. Uh, if I were to critique anything, because I think the story so far is fire. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm like, oh, this is really interesting. I was a little nervous because it's like a, it's a slave narrative. I was like, do we really need to do this again? Right, right, right. But I think it's really cool. He's doing some magic stuff. Like, it's really interesting. If I had to critique him, I mean, he probably, I'm sure he listens to this and that's fine. Uh, would be my dream. I'm sure you do. Also, can you come on the podcast? Your people are giving me a hard time. I, I'm sure Thanks. I listen to this. Yeah, <laughs> and I get a message. He was like, that's messed up, bro. Like, yeah, yeah. Who are you? you know I mean? But uh, it feels a tiny bit um, overwritten. Just the, the language see. feels a little overwritten. And sometimes people love that. Right. Um, I just have my taste. Uh, for me, it's like I, I like it to be. I think there's power in uh, and, and brevity when it comes to writing. I think there's power in, like, like Chimamanda said years ago, there's nothing better than a short, lucid sentence. Mm-hmm. I think we, we just, we, we forget mm-hmm. that, like, it, it takes skill right. to, to show constraint. Well, that's Nickel Boys. That's Nickel Boys. Right? Like, that is, like, a perfectly edited Perfect. piece. Of just, ugh, it's so good. What are some books that are coming out maybe soon or that you haven't quite gotten to that you're looking forward to? I want to read Ed Weege's collection of short stories, Ed Weege Danticat's new collection of short yeah. stories. I have it. I just haven't read it yet. Okay. Um, I also just got, uh, I'm, I'm trying to read more like translated works. Yeah. I think we just, we struggle in America. Only It's only here, by the way, that where we don't read like a lot right. of translated works. Right. And I think we should. Olga, Olga, I can never pronounce her last name, but Olga just won the, the Nobel. The, the, eh. Just casual. Hey, man. <laughs> I, I kind of figured that she that she would, and so I'm I'm, I'm picking through her new joint. Um, I, I'm I'm always waiting to see what Ali Smith is doing. She's one of my biggest influences. You know, there's a lot of Ali Smith in that book, as a matter of fact. And look both ways. Yeah, like in terms of style, I think she's one of the most courageous writers of our time. I don't, I don't think I know who that is. She wrote uh, Autumn, Spring, Winter, okay. th- those books. Okay. And she's written, I mean, it's a lot of books. She's basically okay. the, the, I mean, she's the European, to me, and, I, and this is blasphemy, but she's, what, what, what Toni Morrison is to so many of us over here, mm-hmm. uh, to me, Ali Smith, in terms of courage and, mm. and just pushing the line okay. uh, and doing whatever she wants to do on the page, Ali Smith is that over in the UK. She's brilliant and a good buddy of mine and I feel... Uh, when I when I met her years ago, and I told her how underrated I thought she was in America, um, and, that, and I was grateful that she took so many risks. She said, "You and I will be friends because you understand mm-hmm. that the secret to literature is that the risk is all." Yeah, right. And there's that, and, and she just yeah, she's everything. Um, okay, yeah. I have to check her out. What's a book that you like to recommend to people? I oh, was the Bones. I, I probably recommend that book more than anything else. You know what else though? Uh, Anything written by Kiese Lehman. And people, I know Heavy is like his breakout, but the truth is How to Kill Yourself or Others Slowly in America and Long Division are masterful pieces of literature that many people haven't read. read. 
Long Division is a feat. It's mm-hmm. so hard to do what he did in that book with chi- with time travel and you know uh, social race, racial commentary and regional commentary and uh, educational commentary. I mean, it's just really. I mean, and then he's jumping from the eighties to the current day to the sixties. I mean, it's masterpiece, mm-hmm. a masterpiece. So shout out to Kiese. Uh, I recommend that an awful lot as well. And uh, what's one last book uh, that, I, that I'm always thinking about? I don't know. There's just, uh, there's so, I mean, do yourself a favor and read Langston Hughes' simple stories. You know what I mean? If you want to see a short story, right? You know, or read Jamaica Kincaid's Girl, mm. right? Like, and that's who's also a big influence and in look both ways, okay. right? Because the whole thing is just a string of like, you know, almost like a, almost like a stream of consciousness, right? It's beautiful. Okay. What's a book that someone has recommended to you that you thought was like a great recommendation? Uh, probably a Quake Amezi's pet. Mm. That one, I think. It's been a lot. I, I hate everything. Me too. Yeah, like I, I'm, I have a super <laughs> high bar. I feel like I've super. said so many books I like today, but I hate every book. I, I have a super high bar. <laughs> okay. Right, and uh, in every category. Right. And that book felt fresh and mm. and bold, uh, and to write something speculative. Something gender non-conforming, repairing, and it doesn't feel trite and and overtried and hackneyed. It doesn't feel checkboxed, right? It doesn't right. feel tokenized. It's just like no, like this, this is the world. This is, this is the world, right? Um, and the idea that it that the monsters only return if you forget. Right. How much reading do you do? A lot of reading. Like, I, what does I that read, mean? Like, how many books do you, would you say you read in a month or so? Like four or five. Okay. I mean, I try to I try to read an hour a day. Okay. Thanks, Lisa Lucas. That mm-hmm. was that was her. She's like, just read an hour a day, and then you'll be able to like really get some stuff done. And so, I try to set aside an hour. Um, and and I have, and you know, I'm pulling books off the shelves. And because I work in this industry, I they mail me. I have everything. Right. Everything. Comes. Everyone just sends me books because right. they hope that I like it enough to blurb it. And so I, right. I just happen to have everything in arc form. Right. At the house, you know. Right. 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 Uh, it's one of the joys of working in the book world, at least for me as a reader. I don't write, so I don't have the pressure of I need to do my own writing. Like mm-hmm. that time for me for work is, you know, working on the podcast, but getting books, mm. I never thought it would ever happen. I never thought, like, I never thought it was even a thing. So now when I get books, I still, a year and a half into this show, I'm like, oh my God, someone sent me their book. Like, it just, I like to read. It's so good, right? <laughs> it's really, it, feel, it feels nice. Do you set goals for yourself around reading? No, no, no. I have too many goals for myself around writing. Mm. I can't, I can't do much more. Right, I, I don't have the mental capacity, and I, I, and I have just terrible anxiety. It's just too much. You know what I mean? Like, I, <laughs> yeah, I get, it has to feel like a thing that I'm doing because I want to do it. So you'll set a book down if you're not into it. Oh, it got twenty, thirty pages, and I'm okay. out of there. You okay. better make something happen. I need something to happen early, uh, or the language got to be jumping. You know yeah. what I mean? If it's not, I don't have time for this. And people will be right. like, "Have you read it?" Man, I ain't, yeah. you, know, you got to get back to it. I'm good, man. Right. Tell me what it's about. Yeah. Like, I'm I'm, I'm good. I, I don't have, life too short. I ain't, no. Okay. This is a question that I have just recently thought about, and I just started adding it in my, into the short stacks episodes, mm-hmm. but I've not added it yet here. What's a word that you spell wrong always? Restaurant. Restaurant. Always. Okay. The A-U- because it's the A and then it's the A-U, or is it the A-U and then the A? I always get it wrong. 
now I don't know how to spell it. See, I'm a terrible speller, but I've become obsessed with this idea because we all have the word. And I, for a long time, I just thought I was an idiot. Like I thought recommendation was you know, <laughs> like you would get a PhD if you could spell it correctly. And then I realized other people have the word. Yeah. Rest, restaurant. <laughs> Every time. And the red line comes up and I'm like, I know. I know. Just, can you just learn me better? Are you, you know a I computer? don't know. <laughs> like I don't do, recommend has never happened. Recommendation has never happened. Hey. Recommender. And I say it all the time because I recommend books all the time. Right, right, and I'm right. always trying to like type it up. Like I hate you. <laughs> okay. Um, oh, I, I think I know the answer, but I'm curious. You're a rereader, right? Mm-hmm. You'll reread a book. Mm-hmm. What are books? What are some of the books that you make a point to reread? Oh, that's a good one. So Salvage the Bones, uh, Brown Girl Dreaming, The Fire Next Time, The Autobiography of Malcolm X. Ugh. The Autobiography of Malcolm X is one of the greatest books ever. That's a history book. You should have put I that. Put down Mal- I put down Malcolm X, Manning Marable's version. Okay. Also okay. amazing. Absolutely. Both are amazing. Oh, my God. I, yes. He, he's unreal. Shout out to Malcolm X. Yeah. So I reread that book all the time. Mm. Um, what else? I mean, I love The Color Purple. Okay. I think it was sort of, it broke the mold for the epistolary novel. I love, uh, oh God, uh, Montage of a Dream Deferred. Mm-hmm. Thanks to Hughes' collection. It's one of my prize because I own a copy. There's only a few copies that exist in the world. And I own a, I own the actual book. We all know pieces from the book, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I have the book and so I read it often and it is a masterpiece. And it did not sell when he was alive. It was mm-hmm. not a hit, even though it was his best work ever. It did not do what he thought it would do. Interesting. Uh, Montage of a Dream Deferred. Kane, Gene Tumor's Kane. I don't know that. Gene Tumor's Kane. So Kane was written, I believe this is the 19, I want to say 1940s. It might have been 1920s. Um, it's written by Gene Tumor, who's a black man. And it's uh, it's got all the forms in it. So like it's poems, it's little short vignettes, it's, it's you know, long form prose, it's, and it's a telling of the story of this, of this. It's really, I can't even explain it. It's one of those books that like, you just have to know it. You have to okay. read it. And it's hard. Okay. Right. But it's also, so when you, when you put it in context to the time, it's by far one of the most creative things and the most bold pieces of literature, given the context of when it was written. Right. Brilliant. Gene okay. Tumor's Kane. 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 Okay. Yeah. So. What's the last book that made you laugh? I don't know. It's such a tough question because. Books be mad heavy these days, I feel like. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I never read books that make me laugh. Though, um, look both ways, I did laugh. There's some, there's yeah. some funny. But I can't say my own no, book. No, you can't. Like, yeah, I'm not I can say that. it, but you can't. Thank you. Um, <laughs> skip. Okay, we'll skip. I don't know. Okay, what's the last book that made you cry? Oh, God. They all, I mean, God, that's an easy one. I mean, there's so many books that make me cry. Um, probably Nickel Boys. Mm. I mean, that scene where they talk about, you know, what it means to go out back mm-hmm. or whatever it was, mm-hmm. you know, the, you know, the, the murdering of children. Mm-hmm. I can't, that's a lot for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. I think for most people. I hope so. I feel like most people are like, that's super cash. No, <laughs> no biggie. Uh, what about a book that made you angry? Honestly. So I read, I had to read stamped like 10 times, right? right. Co- cover to cover. Tell and them why. Because I'm, because I had to adapt it. I'm, I, I adapted it into, um, a young reader's version, and we're calling it a young reader's version, but really, it's just a more colloquial version for right. for the everyday person, you know. And uh, that book really, ma- it, it really maddened me. It angered me uh, because what I thought I knew um, was only the tip of the iceberg, right? And so suddenly, you start getting into the SAT, and you start getting into IQ tests, 
and you start getting into the movies you grew up watching, like Rocky mm. and and Planet of the Apes. Uh, and you start, right, and, and everything becomes contextualized and suddenly it's like a veil has been lifted and you realize your entire life has been a really perverse negotiation with whiteness. Right. Um, it's painful. Yeah. Yeah, it's painful. It, the book is super is super eye-opening for me as a black woman. And I do want, sometimes I wonder if the experiences that I have, how other people who identify different ways have, mm. like with a book like that, like I'd be so curious, you know, what a white 60-year-old man's reaction to Stamped would be or, you know, like a, a Filipino mm. 25-year-old woman because there's so much in that book and there's, not in a bad way, but it's a lot of finger pointing. Like yeah. it's a lot of this led to this. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I said that not in a bad way because it's not, it's not saying like white people are no, bad, but structural. it is saying like this thing happened and these are the people who made this happen. And it is, it was very, it was very upsetting to me. Yeah. And so I actually read that book very quickly because I just wanted to get through it. It's a lot. I mean, even from the very beginning, thinking about, uh, like from the beginning of the country and this idea, and everybody knows that, oh, well, America's built on slavery. Yes. But there's also this thing about like, well, if the Puritans come here and they believe that the greatest thinker of the, of the world is, is Aristotle, who was a terrible sort of, you know, person and he <laughs> believed in human hierarchy and he believed that the Greeks were superior and then the non-Greeks and then the Puritans say, well, we can take what he did and change it to Puritanism. And then when we start our first university, which would be Harvard University, what we'll do is we'll say that everything can be challenged except for Greek and Latin literature. Mm. And therefore, Aristotle can never be challenged. And so the, the theory of human hierarchy becomes etched in stone, right? right? So not only is it religion, it's also education from the beginning. Right. Right. Racist from the beginning. Right. Uh, and it's, that is painful. Yeah. 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 And if you start talking about it too long, you get really, yeah. start to get worked up. Okay. <laughs> Which is why the next question is, what's a book that brings you joy? Honey, I Love by Eloise Greenfield. Mm, I think who that, you dedicated who your I dedicated book to. this book to. Eloise Greenfield, for those who don't know, she used to be the poet laureate of Washington, in Washington, D.C., but she also is this wonderful children's writer. She's 95 years old now, mm. still working. And uh, she wrote a book called Honey, I Love. And I would encourage everyone to go get it. They have the pocket version, which costs like $2. I've mm. gifted this to every kid I've known. I mean, over the years, my godchildren, my nieces and nephews, adults, right? It's... Mm. Um, it is a masterpiece and it's beautiful and it's these little uh, illustrations and, and little poems. This love poems about or for or from children. And mm-hmm. it's just, uh, uh, it's, it's, yeah, that's the one. Okay. What about a book where you felt like you learned a lot? So I, I would, I could cheat, right. And say stamp, but honestly, I, I have to say, um, the new Jim Crow opened me up, changed a lot. Uh, the new Jim Crow really was something um, because it helped me uh, really understand and contextualize the new conversation that was mm-hmm. going to come. It really is the book to me that was the beginning of of what we now have and this new sort of um, nuanced discussion around the racial structures and whiteness and right. and const- the Constitution and and, and prison. Um, and I think you know, shout out to Michelle Alexander. I think it's. Massively done. Yeah. Okay. So last night I went and I saw you talking to LeVar Burton at Barnes and Noble here in LA. And you talked about your day and your routine where you wake up and you write for a few hours and then 
more than a few, like a nine to five, seven to two, <laughs> seven to two, you said. And then you said you go to the movies mm. almost every day. Mm. So what is the book that you would like to see turned into a movie? Mine or someone else's? Anyone's? Well, let's say not yours. Okay, perfect. Though Look Both Ways and Long Way Down would be great movies. Well, I think children's or like young people's books are inherently more cinematic, more because yeah. you got to get that story out. Those books are gone. They're already the, the movie thing oh. is happening. Yeah, so that's, Fantastic. But that wasn't what I would pick. Okay. But I won't pick my own book. Don't pick your own book. I won't pick. Uh, hmm. What have I read? The Nickel Boys. Yeah. Yeah. That would be a movie. Oh my god! Who it, would you cast? I probably don't even know any actors quite young enough. I love that kid. Um. Shamik Moore. Which one is he? He's he did the Spider Man voice in oh, okay. Spider Verse. He did Dope, the movie Dope. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah that yeah. kid. Okay, I love that kid. Yeah, I love that. You know who else? Have you ever seen Me Earl and the Dying Girl? No, but I've heard of it. The black kid yeah. Earl okay. in that movie. Wherever he is, well, how, that, that movie's he's probably too old now. Right? Nah, he's probably like sixteen. Oh, okay. Yeah, that 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 kid, a genius. Like, okay. I'd love to see him too. I don't know, but it's. Yeah, that movie. That would make a good movie. Oh, All right. I always skip over this question, but I'm, <laughs> I'm not I'm going to. That. I'm going to do it with you. I, 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 I think about what questions I want to do with people. And I'm, for whatever reason, I, I'm very curious. Okay. You can't say yourself. I won't. Okay. Who would you like to write the story of your life? So like you can write your own story. It can be like the autobiography of Jason Reynolds. But who is the Manning Marable that's going to tell your story? Or who's the person that you would want to tell your story that's not you? K.S.A. Lehman. Okay. And the reason why is because if anyone's ever met K.S.A. Lehman, what you know about him is, one, he's a thousand percent himself all mm. the time. And two, he is he is in a massive love affair with black people. Okay. His life is a love affair with black people. And that matters to me because I know that he'd write me with love. He'd write me with, with thoughtfulness. He'd take care of me, right? And he tell right. the tr- and and he tell the truth, right? He tell the truth, mm. but he would he would tell the truth, and simultaneously take care of my legacy of who I am and what I've done and what I'm and what I wanted to do, what my intentions were, despite my shortcomings, which there are gazillions, sure, you know. <laughs> he, and, and he would put them all in there and 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 tell and tell the truth about who I really was, um, but he'd also make sure that it was all couched. And, um, and, and an overwhelming amount of love. All right. That's yeah. good. That's good. So I always, almost always ask, what's a book you're embarrassed that you've never read? But I'm oh, actually... easy. I, okay, go. Harry Potter. Oh, me neither. Never. But you're embarrassed? I work in children's literature. I guess that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like truly like proud of it. I'm like, yeah, I've never read Harry Potter. What's it to you? <laughs> but I guess that's true. Okay. What's a book that you're proud to have read? That's a good question. It's sometimes harder. It is. What's a book that I'm proud? I'm proud to have read. Beloved. Because mm. people really be fronting like they read it. And I just know that people have not read it. I only read it because we did it on the show. It's, but and see, the thing is that there, I think it's one of the books that people, it's one of the most lied about, but people lie about having read it because yeah. it's, it's, it's just one of those social zeitgeist things where it's right. like, have you read Beloved? You know, and it's like, it's okay if you haven't read it, but I am proud to have read it now. Do I think it requires a second and third and fourth reading? <laughs> yes. yes. I think it's a book you grow into. Yeah. Right? Um, but I'm proud to have gotten through it. 
Yeah. I mean, have to have stuck it out for sure. Yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> that's a good one. Oh, I, this is, I have to ask you this. What's the book you would assign in school? Let's say high school. If you're a teacher. Definitely. And it's been assigned. People are assigning it. The autobiography of Michael Max. Sure. I really think it's just. It's not really though. Yeah, you don't think it's being well, assigned? Well, it was assigned, but I took an African-American history class yeah. in high school. That wasn't regular. It was like an elective. Yeah, I think I think it should be assigned. And period. I didn't read it in high school. It should school. be a school-wide read. Yeah, I didn't even read it in high school. I was like, no. And then I read it when I was 22 and was like, this is the greatest thing I've ever read. Same. Same. I read it when I was older. And I yeah. Was like, what? This is the best piece <laughs> of literature. Okay. I, this is, I'm actually, I'm so glad you're here. Okay. We talk about this a lot. What book would you assign in school? People pick books that often are things like the autobiography of Malcolm X or or some other book that is like a major work that is talking about a major person, mm. often to do with race or sometimes it has to do with consent or those types of things. But you go to school and you see teachers who are teaching these books. Mm. In the wrong hands, what happens to the autobiography of Malcolm X? In the wrong hands. Or just in like, not even like in a, not even a teacher who is deeply racist or something, but just a teacher who doesn't get it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's bastardized, right? It's, it's, right. It's, it's ruined. Right. And so that's, that's the danger of it all. Right. And so like, I, but, but I think that's every book. Sure. I, I, I don't think that there's any book that I would put in the hands uh, that I would want to be taught in school with, with, by a teacher who didn't, who wasn't equipped to teach it. Right. Right. Like that's just like Shakespeare. Shakespeare's brilliant. Ugh, my fave. But he's ruined in school. Ruined. Because they don't, because they don't have the time. Some of them have, Sort of, some of them are equipped and do have the knowledge and the information to to, to really teach it, but they don't have the time right. that it takes to really get into the, the layers and the levels and the, the brilliance of a lot of that work. But so you grow up hating Shakespeare. Well, yeah, I had a I was a theater major, so I had a drama teacher. We read it out loud, and Which that is, is basically the key. It was meant to be seen anyway. It was meant to be seen and heard. Yeah, and so that's half the battle. But I just because it's like, how do you get teachers to teach? things right you you can't expect them to teach everything right because they come from their own place and their own things and that just might not be yeah but i think you got to get teachers look at the end of the day i choose Malcolm x but the truth is is that i just want teachers i wish that more teachers could just teach the things they love right right because then you it, it all works right right just teach the things that you love right. because at least even if you're teaching a a, a, a race blind curriculum um, at least you've, you've engaged young people with, with, with reading and writing right. and, and they and can go and read they can the go things. And get it. Exactly. Totally. You know I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I've asked that question a lot and I always love the answers, but then sometimes I think, and I'm like, I'm so glad my English teacher did not try to teach that because I have an English teacher, Miss, well, I won't say her name, but <laughs> she was great. And she taught, she taught Romeo and Juliet. She actually did a great job, but she could not have taught the autobiography of Malcolm X. No, no, there's not a chance in the world. Yeah, I don't. That's true. Um, okay. Last one. My favorite. Well, one of my favorites. Stole it from the New York Times. If you could require the president of the United States of America, the current one, to read one book, what would it be? That is that is that is a doozy. And I've listened to this podcast so much. I know this question is coming, right? <laughs> I, I, I listen to this every week. I listen yeah. to this podcast. Yay, thank you. Uh, um, what would I have the president of the United States read? Are we sure the president of the United States can read? So part of this question is you have to suspend your disbelief. You <laughs> okay. have to you have to assume that he could read it or he would audiobook it. And you have to assume that he would understand the content enough. Like that he would be able to absorb what's being said. Gosh. 
And what's so fucked up is, so this question, you know, it comes from the New York Times and they've been doing it for a long time. They used to do it when it was Barack Obama and yeah. the answers would be like incredible. And now it's like, I know it's like the ABC book. I'm like, well, let's pretend like no, you could yeah, actually yeah. teach him of something, course, you know, or like a lot of people say the constitution, which yeah, that would be nice, but you know, it's not really a book. It's not a book. Yeah. Um, you know, I would love, what is the name of that book? It's the, it's the book that Dr. King, one of the books that he wrote, um, and it's not the letter. It's not um, the autobiography of Martin Luther King. King. No, 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 no. Where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? This is the book. Where do we go from here? I think I honestly think this is the book that uh, I think it's so revolutionary, and it's rich with compassion because it's Dr. King, but it's also it's revolutionary. And yeah, it's, and it's about like it just as the title suggests. Where do we go from here? Like, what do we do mm. now? You know, and and it's a, and it's a charge to humanity. Uh, it's a charge to the government. It's a charge to America. You know, my my best friend, uh, his name. I'm gonna give him a shout out because I think I just love him so much. I love shout out. Yeah, his name's Aaron. Aaron Holmes, my my, my guy. I've uh, been friends with thirty years, hmm. and uh, I mean, I mean, like friends, friend, thirty years. And he says, you know, the issue with America uh, at, at its current state is that we have conflated uh, the American dream with the American ideal. Hmm. And and what he argues is that the American dream is a fallacy, but the American ideal is masterful. Hmm. And and what we've actually fallen short of is the American ideal, right? What it was supposed to, what what the ideas around this country were meant to be, um, right? Because we've been we've been sort of bamboozled into believing in some American dream, but the American dream could never be if the country was not only built on slavery, but built by rich people. Right. Well, and maybe the American dream to me has always felt like a personal. It is. As opposed to the ideal feels like a collective. It's communal. Yeah. Right? Like what, 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 the, like, what was the point? What was the point? Right. But, but that, it, but that the flaw, that the flaw wasn't, it's interesting because he, what he argues, what Aaron argues that the flaw, the, the, the original sin wasn't slavery. It was wealthy white men, mm. right, uh, uh, sort of controlling what democracy actually was supposed to. It was, that was flawed from the jump. Right. But because, because if, because if, because if, and, and, that, and that democracy never actually existed, because had they given slaves the option to not be slaves, they would have opted out. Right. But they weren't given the option, which means democracy was never a thing. Right. Right. Because it was controlled by Right, this is a very different right. thing. So, so right, that, right, so, right, right, and so like process, it, right? It's interesting, right? And so that book, where do we go from here? I think would be the one because it really gets into that and about like, you know, what do we do now? Mm. You know, and I think that Donald Trump, um, it's hard, right? Because I, my job is to human to, to, to humanize the vilified, right? It's just hard to do it in this particular state because I right. don't believe that he's moving ignorantly. I believe he's right. moving. Uh, I believe he's moving in t- with intention, uh, and that's what's frightening. Um, and, and 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 I don't try to pull empathy from people. With the truth of the matter is that I, I'm not interested in. I'm definitely not interested in your sympathy. Uh, and I'd like to believe that you still have empathetic bones in your body. I'm not sure that you do, but I do believe that uh, a, a book like this is something that at least can, can sit on your conscience. It may not change anything, but right. I, I still would want you to even just to do the due diligence and to have to sit down. And dedicate time to reading something about something other than yourself, right? Um, and to see your place in that continuum as a roadblock uh, could be just a powerful experience. Yeah, 
That's so good. When is Aaron Holmes's book coming out? He's actually he actually is working on. Oh, okay. He's working on. Uh, he's doing what they used to do back in the day when they would write uh, those like short pamphlets. He, mm. he believes that he believes the next wave for political and and social intake through media will be uh, a, re- a return to to the thirty page pamphlet. All right, like the Reynolds paper. Well, not even. Not even. I didn't even mean you, but yeah. No, but like um, but I saw Hamilton, so I know all about it. <laughs> all right, Jason, this was awesome. You're going to be back next week. Everyone, go out and get his newest book, Look Both Ways. But you know, I guess any of his books you could go get. They're all out there in the world right now. Mm. Stamped coming out in March. And next week, we're going to be talking about Red at the Bone by Jacqueline Woodson. There will be some spoilers. So please read the book before you come back to listen. Also, if you haven't read Look Both Ways, we're going to talk about that more next week also. So if you want to pick it up, it'll take you, what, a day maybe max? Oh, yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, it'll take you a few hours. All, actually, pretty much all of Jacqueline Woodson and Jason's book. So you'll be fine. But um, there will probably be a little bit of spoilering happening next week. So Jason, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I'm so sorry. <laughs> he's, he's already picked up the chat. He's already moving on. Um, and we will see you guys in the stacks. Thank you so much to Jason for being my guest today. And thank you all so much for listening. I'd also like to say thank you to Candace for helping set up this interview and the folks over at Simon Kids for sending over a copy of Look Both Ways. You can find everything we discussed on today's episode in the link in the show notes. Make sure to get your book recommendation read on air by sending us an email at askingthestacks at gmail.com. For more from The Stacks, please follow us on social media at The Stacks Pod on Instagram and at The Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter and check out our website, The Stacks Podcast. To join the Stacks Pack and get inside access to this show, head to patreon.com slash the stacks. Make sure you are subscribed to this show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please take a moment to rate and review the show. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite, and our theme music is from Tagirajis. This show was created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas.